Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 30 and 31 of The Eye of the World, Children of the Shadow, and Play for Your Supper. Enjoy. All right, episode 15, going to get started. Um, before, a little housekeeping, before we jump into the episode, wanted to do a quick couple of things, uh, just uh, talk about a few things that's going on. Um, one, um, shout outs, uh, want to give a shout out to just everyone's listening out there. Uh, we hit over two, we blew through 2,000 downloads total um, between last week and this week. Uh, and now we're well on our way to 3,000. Um, I think we're actually at 2,300 already. So within one week, we pass that number. Keep on going. So, been a good week for uh, new new listeners coming in. Um, also, had a bunch of new Twitter followers. I did a little call out to say, you know, hey, we're 10, 10 followers away from four hundred. The next thing I knew, we had like four hundred sixty. So, um, yeah. So now, now we're well on the way to five hundred followers, which is great. Um, you know, I appreciate the Twitter uh, time community out there and all the help we're doing. And and because of our appreciation, we are doing a giveaway as, as well right now. So um, by the time you hear this, the giveaway will be done. But anybody that's listening live with us Discord right now, if you haven't checked out our, our Twitter page, go check it out. There's actually a way you can win a free copy of a hard, hardcover copy of Eye of the World uh, through Twitter. We will be doing these giveaways um, um, again um, throughout the time we're running this podcast so um make sure that um um you guys keep on checking in twitter um most of the time these giveaways will go to our patreons and then also might do giveaways for for discord as well um this one was actually supposed to go to a patreon and they were so gracious to say hey go ahead and just give it out to twitter so um just letting you guys know that um you know, if you guys join Patreon, you get more dibs at these giveaways. Um, also, I'm going to do some of these just for the Discord channel. So that's free. So if you guys want to join our Discord, it's another way to get, you know, more chances at winning free stuff. Uh, books, pint glasses, stickers, um, all sorts of stuff we're going to do. So anyway. And I do want to announce that the winner for that giveaway was The Last Dragon Lord. Um, that's the Twitter um, account that, uh, that won it. Um, I think it's at Kira Cappuccino. Um, is the, the handle. So uh, we'll be in touch to get you that book out. Moving on from that, um, anything else you guys can think of for announcement purposes? No, if we're ready for um, the next state or country. Yeah, um, we can do that before we do the personal life. There's nothing new of a personal life for me, but yeah, state or country. Ian, you, Ian, you got this week. Yeah, so uh, we still have a couple of states in the good old U.S. that we haven't touched yet, uh, and one of them was Vermont. So yeah. anybody knows anybody in Vermont, uh, share away, encourage them to hop on, take a listen. Yeah, so this, the great state of Vermont, uh, we're still looking for a listener from there. So uh, that'd be great. So as far as personal life's going right now, um, we're still in quarantine. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> quarantine day again. So, yeah, again. I, if you're on my, if you're on our Discord, I post it every morning um, that we're still in quarantine day. Um, but yeah, so uh, still, still quarantined. Um, 
my alcohol was running low, but I did replenish um, this weekend. So I was getting kind of desperate for a little bit, getting a little scared, but I was able to buy a bottle of whiskey and two cases of beer. So I think I'm good for a little bit longer. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're, you know, crisis was, it was averted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what about you guys? Okay. So, uh, I updated you all last time and I don't know if it was on here or discord. I think it was on here, uh, about, uh, my father who had gotten in that, uh, ATV four wheeler accident. And he actually ended up staying in the hospital until this morning. Uh, they had, they were concerned with like some draining with fluid on his lungs and that just took a while. It's cause he's old as dirt. That's what I told him. He didn't think that was funny. Um, but eventually all that kind of worked itself out. They did scans this morning. His O2 stats were good. So they let him go home. Uh, so before he got there, I spent some time praying with his wife, uh, cause she's going to have to babysit him for a couple weeks. Uh, but I did get to see him and he, he's in good spirits. Um, and I want to, I want to say thank you to a couple of the folks in discord after I mentioned it, uh, had messaged me personally. And, and I know there were some of y'all that were praying for me and my family and my dad and, I think that's fantastic. And a couple of y'all messaged at just the right time when I needed to hear it. So thank you for that. And you guys are great. That is really awesome. I, I'd like to give a thank you as well to those on discord because I have received some PMs uh, just, you know, checking in on me and trying to determine how I'm doing with everything that's going on with the COVID since I'm not as, um, I don't visit the discord as frequently. I, I really do appreciate the messages and, I'm sorry I'm not one of those individuals that is up here as often as others. Um, please know that I do actually read everything that is posted. I'm one of those people <laughs> that will go back and look at all 50 messages. And then, mm-hmm. of course, I'll give you my, my smiley or my crying laughter face. And that's my interaction <laughs> um, for the most part. And that's not to slight anybody. It's just that I don't. When there's 50 messages, I want to see all 50 messages. And then by the time I get done, I'm like, what was the 49th message that I read? And what was the 29th message that I read? I don't remember, but I love them all. No, I I just, I have um, really bragged on this Discord group, to be honest with you, with my my church group, because just watching the interactions here, not necessarily the topics of discussion all the time, But the interactions have just been really good for myself and for others because we have started this virtual community that we can kind of lean on each other and have an enjoyable time. And um, it really just goes to show that even in moments of uh, hardships and such, um, you know, socially, we're able to combat it through, you know, through technology. So I just wanted to commend you all for that and, as far as me personally, not much has changed. I'm still working. I'm still considered essential enough to put my life on the line to be around all the people. No, we're 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 actually in an office space, but we um, do come into contact with a large volume of people looking to get technology for their kids, which is, you know, necessary for what our school system is doing because we have yet to call it quits on teaching. So we're actually looking at having a fourth quarter. Um, so we're going to be putting out more digital content for, for kids to learn from, which is really interesting since like half our teachers are over the age of 70 and don't know what they're doing when it comes to the technology. 
bless their heart. Um, <laughs> exactly. So it, it's been really, really fun and really interesting. And then, of course, we are actually sending out report cards, which is crazy because um, I have never seen, and apparently neither has Newport News Public Schools, seen as many incompletes on report cards in our entire <laughs> history. Um, and we know that they're all going to get changed to either C's or D's anyway. So it's like, why not just let it go? That's my two cents on that. Sure. Oh, and I have an interview tomorrow. I have a Zoom interview. So um, I'm interviewing for my uh, emerging teacher program. And if I pass this interview well, then I'll be accepted to a program to allow me to go and teach in the near future. And that'll set me towards my goal of becoming an administrator over the next uh, four years. Cool. Fantastic. That's That's awesome. Yeah, cool. Well, without further ado, I will just get right into the actual episode. So, our, you know, well, this is the episode, but get into the chapters. Um, Want to do predictions real fast. I only have three this week uh, for last week, and then we'll jump right in because I, I know at least this chapter we have a lot to talk about and next one too. So uh, these are kind of good chapters. At least I think so. Uh, anyway, so predictions. Perrin and Elias will eventually be able to mind meld or something like that. So that was a prediction from last week. Uh, Matt's secret power is that he's the wild card. Um, you know, we talked. <laughs> we talked about Rand has a power and, and or might have a power, and, and that parent, of course, is the wolf thing. And then what's Matt's? And I think Chris asked that, and Ian said, "Well, of course, he's the wild card." So that's his superpower. Um, <laughs> Nynaeve is Anakin Skywalker, and that was the last one, uh, <laughs> which, which also got got a lot of traction. Um, throughout the week of, of an Nynaeve being Anakin. So hopefully um, that might change, uh, or maybe not. Who knows? We didn't have Nynaeve again back with us so um, uh, for these chapters. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Let's put it that one. So moving right on to sure. chapter 30, Children of the Shadow. So as always, we start with the icon. It's that sunburst. Um, the last time we saw that was in Barillon when we met the White Cloaks. So I think it's without um, any kind of surprise that – we're going to have white cloaks this chapter. So, but any other thoughts about the symbol or icon? No, was, I, I saw it and kind of thought white cloaks. And then we had them. Yeah. So it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm right along with you. I just immediately thought, well, what type of shit are we going to get ourselves into today? <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. So, you know, it starts right where we left off. Um, Egwene's staring at the statue uh, and Perrin goes down to the water and he's still thinking about, um, you know, uh, his thoughts about killing uh, Egwene. And he's thinking about this axe and he's kind of in his mopey mood. And um, he's talking about how he hates the axe, you know, and he's um, and, and Elias kind of comments with him and starts this whole entire conversation, um, you know, asking him, you know, did you want to kill her? Did you hate Do you hate her? Um you know, it, it, it starts just, that's kind of where the scene starts is, is talking through these thoughts that we got from last episode. Yeah, I, I thought it was awesome. Um, yeah, I mentioned in the last episode, and we also had some Discord talk about, you know, why didn't parents stick up for Egwene a little bit more or look out for her a little bit more? Yeah, I, I thought he would have played that protective role when they were with the Tinkers a little bit stronger. Um, and then right off the bat, when, you know, Elias is kind of questioning him and, uh, mentions that she's always dragging her feet holding you back in her womanish ways and Perrin just immediately snapped back Gwen never dragged her feet in her life and she always does her share I don't despise her even says that he loves her you know not in that way and then has that funny back and forth about 
uh, you know, I, I, I don't agree with you. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, Brett, brownie brownie points for him is what I was saying. Um, yeah. What I don't is? agree with said not like that. I mean, she isn't like a sister, but she and Ran blood and ashes. I think he does like her like that. I think we got a little crush <laughs> going on, but he's kind of torn because that's his boy's girl. You know how that works. <laughs> okay, I'm not saying that uh, I use this saying, but it's the only thing popping into mind right now. But he kind of had like a, a bros before hoes moment. Like, like <laughs> he can, he tells he's feeling he, they're coming up and he likes her like that, but he doesn't want to say it because he knows he's not supposed to because <laughs> I guess Rand had dibs. I Whatever, I don't know. I don't know how any of that works. Sure. <laughs> it was a, it was a very interesting back and forth because uh, the the question came up: Can you read my mind too, like the wolves? Because mm-hmm. Elias comes up to him, he's like, "So you hate her that much?" And then right away, he's just like startled and jumped, and then he asks the question. And then of course, he's like, "A blind man can read your face, boy." Well, speak up. Do you hate the girl? Despise her? That's it. You're ready to kill her because you despise her always dragging her feet holding you back with her womanish ways so like elias is definitely a womanizer yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no question in that um but at the same time he he brings up this question which brings up different thoughts and emotions and it is a good question like is there a link between elias and parent, or will there be a link between Elias or parent that's mm-hmm. used throughout the book? Um, you know, with the whole pack mentality, uh, we know that it's our female wolf that controls the pack. But, you know, inevitably, in my mind at least, one of these characters, probably parent, is going to become the alpha at some point. Mm-hmm. So we have established dominance over not just the wolves, but the humans that can engage with the wolves. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm wondering because like in my mind, he's not like the king of the wolves or he will become like the king of the wolves. Sure. Yeah, possibly. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, And then Eliza also talks about the mercy kill as well. So, um, you know, he kind of goes back and says, I don't know if I could actually have done it. Um, you know, it's, it, and that's not my choice anyway. Who is it? You know, it's not my choice to whether or not she dies and how she dies. That's her choice. Um, you know, which I thought was just interesting. Just a, a different spin on that. Yeah, I actually think I'll give Elias a, a little bit of credit here. Uh, I I get the feeling he, he can read Perrin's mind really well. Uh, and, and the whole point of bringing all that up about, um, you know, I can read on your face. We'll speak. Do you hate the girl? Despise her. And then moving into that conversation about um, should he have killed Egwene if it got to that point? He was kind of forcing the conversation, I think, uh, in a way to reassure Perrin that, I mean, you you were making a good choice. If it came to that, you know, don't doubt yourself because that's something yeah. he would have preferred. Uh, so he probably felt or knew the guilt that Perrin was feeling, and he encouraged that conversation. And obviously, uh, for his own personal choice, it, he doesn't have an issue with the Jack Kevorkian thing because he flat out says, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know which one I take. I want the clean, quick death. Right. And, and then Perrin kind of blames the axe as well. He says, you know, he hates the axe, and he goes to throw the axe in the lake, and 
and Elias stops him. And this is, um, I'm not going to steal you guys' thunder because I'm sure you guys love this whole entire scene right here because I do. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, where they, Elias gives a little speech about the axe. Oh, yeah, he says, you'll use it, boy. And as long as you hate using it, you will use it more wisely than most men would. Wait, if ever you don't hate it any longer, then will be the time to throw it as far away from you as you can and run the other way. Well, um, then Perrin the overthinker, though. <laughs> what if I wait and then can't throw it away? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to that. Um I mean, you see it in a lot of different situations where once you're consumed by power and pride, how can you overcome it? Mm-hmm. Um, once you move away from the humility, and I, so I find Perrin currently a very humble individual. Um, once you move away from that humility and you become a figure of greatness, can you really separate yourself from that? What is it going to take? Uh, and when he starts to reflect in that way, it really – I get a little bit more respect for him. Um, I know that there are situations where I've told people, like, if I ever get pissed off enough to where I want to hurt you, that's when I have to end a relationship with you. Like I've said that to people on a number of occasions um, that just rubbed me the wrong way. Like I could, I've never had an enemy in my life that I've known of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I thought I would make an enemy of. I quickly walked away because, you know, physically I am, a weapon. <laughs> yeah. Chris is a big guy. So, and, and if, if any listeners that haven't gone back and listened to uh, previous episodes, go back and listen. Um, it's, you should be watching, listen to these, in, listen to these in order anyway. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> moving on from that. So, before they go any further, you know, they get a, they get a, a sending or I don't know what's, what they call in the books, but a, a, a something from the wolves. The, you know, the wolves are telling that, that something's coming. Um, and, and it's dangerous. So they take off running back. Um, and Perrin hears it too, even though he's in, in, in complete denial mode. Yeah, well, I think I think we're seeing the transition of Perrin being in full on denial to like now he's dealing with the reality that okay, this is kind of happening because uh, he's engaging Elias a little bit more. Uh, and then obviously as we move uh, through through this little section of the story here. Uh, he's able to tell Egwene about what's going on without any real, like, actual word speaking communication between him and Elias. So he just he knows, uh, and kind of feels a little ashamed about it. With Egwene looking at him like, "Holy shit, what does she think of me?" So he's he's at that breaking point now. He's not total denial. It's like, okay, can't deny it now. Starting to deal with it. So, yeah, I completely agree with you, Ian. Um, I highlighted the actual scene, and Zul, you'll be happy. I'm going to put the timeline in order. Uh, it kind of reminds me of, or there's a, a wink from Martin towards Jordan, because the scene reminds me of warging out, which happens in Game of Thrones. But, of course, we know Game of Thrones comes after. Um, but I love the way he set the scene because it said um, ascending from the wolves, which is an interesting phrase, a way to phrase it, ascending from the wolves. They didn't say a message. They didn't say the, the wolves told. They said ascending. So I'm wondering um, what that context holds. Um, are we now understanding that wolves can, you know, instantaneously put a thought or image 
into the minds of the humans that they've melded with. Um, but they said, ascending from the wolves so urgent that his eyes glazed over, which is just like warging. But uh, for an instance, he forgot what he had been going to say, forgot he had been going to say anything, forgotten even how to speak, how to breathe. So literally this emotion was so overpowering that the actual human instinct, the id, that which controls life was completely overcome by the wolf's sense of urgency. So I really just love the way he phrased that because it's like his whole being was consumed by what the wolves had to say. So he, there was no way he was ignoring this whatsoever at all. Mm-hmm. That's deep, man. So they run back to the fire. They douse it out as fast as possible. They're trying to cover the traces. They don't have time really to even do a proper, like they're just hoping that they can get it well enough that they might not notice that they're there. But Elijah just tells them, just go hide. I think he says, go east or west. Don't matter. Just get out of here. Find a place to hide. Go hide. They smell wrong. That was something else as well as the, the wolves were telling them um, that something's wrong about these people. Um, and, and you know, Egwene's trying to figure. You know, she's kept like, like, wondering, like, what's going on? What's going on? You know, and they're not telling her at all. They're just like, get it. You know, panicking and not even telling her like, what's going on? Just like, move, move, move. Um, and finally, parents is you know turns to her and says, you know, the wolves say the horsemen are coming, and and of course, he's hinted to it, you know, in previous chapters, but he's been in denial and not flat out come out and said it to Egwene. And it, you know, you had this interchange moment between them, where. Like parents, like I don't care that you know I can talk to the wolves. Like, <laughs> like we gotta move. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm talking about uh, here. Um, it, he's not even trying. It's not that he's given up trying to deny it to himself. He's not even trying to hide it from her. Uh, mm-hmm. He just starts blurting out, and and he's like halfway through before he realizes. All right, uh, how else would I know this? Uh, but he, he catches himself when he goes to quote Dapple, which is obviously a straight up wolf. And he's like, well, Dapple says, uh, then looks at her. And I was like, ah, screw it. And just keeps going. <laughs> they smell wrong. It's sort yeah. of like a rabid dog smell. So it, it's, it's out there. He has come out of the wolf closet. Yeah. To a <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> the wolf closet. Um, so a uh, parent sees a rock. And decides that that's a good place to go hide, and, and they go up into this rock and realize it's actually the statue, the hand of Arthur Hawkwing. Um, so they're hiding in his hand, um, and and Perrin can sense that the wolves are actually now trying to attack these people and are being hurt, and he he feels their pain and and they're uh, they're being hunted, um, and, and it has this question like, why are they being so so? persistent so i had that question mark for you guys too like why do you think these people are being so persistent like well you know not to jump ahead but we have this preconceived notion that the wolves are also like members of or servants of the dark one and essentially i feel like anything the white cloaks cannot control tend to be made out to be members of the dark one's army so, you know, they're, they're overzealous and they're wanting to rid the world of all things connected to the Dark One. So the wolves have got to go. Wait, real quick. Any thoughts for you? Uh, so off topic from what he was saying, but we just learned about a superpower and we skipped right over it. When he's looking for oh. um, a place to hide and they go to hide in the hand, 
at first he's looking by himself. He motions to Gwen to join him and she didn't move. And he's like, okay. So he slides back down there and then it's like, Hey, come on. There's a place up there. And she's like, how on earth can you see anything? And then he realizes, wait a minute. It's not even dusk anymore. It's pitch black, but I, I could still see, I still have enough vision. It's, it's as if it's only dust to me. So, uh, I don't know if this is one of his wolfy powers or something like that, but Hmm. you know, so some throw in the toolbox. Okay. I did not get that. Yeah. Good catch. Bing, bing, bing. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, didn't, I, I think I glanced over that just like completely. Or I read it, but I didn't highlight it. So I'm, I appreciate you bringing that back to my attention. So now I have to find yeah, it. Yeah, it was only a couple of sentences. But I mean, up yeah. to this point, she's trusting him going with him. And that's why it jumped to me. Because in one sentence, he motioned to Egwene to join him. And then she did not move. So I'm thinking, what, does somebody already have her? And then when he slides back down, I was like, hey, come on, let's go to this place. I'm like, oh, she couldn't even see him when he was motioning to Egwene. That's why. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, they get to this hiding spot in the rocks. They're looking down. They can see, like, torches, like little fireflies all moving throughout this little area. And, you know, obviously they're spreading out searching for for more. Um, and they're kind of, you know, making a grid and, and searching around the area. And, and Perrin actually has this this moment where he considers that maybe it might be dark enough. Maybe they should just move away, keep keep moving away from them, because otherwise be caught. But then while he's being Perrin and thinking forever <laughs> about moving, um, <laughs> um, suddenly torches come up all around them, uh, or at least close to them, and realizes they're white cloaks. And one of them stops and says, "Hey, I think there's something up there. Yeah, there's a horse up there." So we get to the fun little action scene here. So. Anything before we move on to that? Uh, yeah, Perrin overthought it. Mrs. Chance thought too long. Yep. Bingo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got him. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly what I put down. I was like, you know what? This is the one moment where Perrin could not be Perrin, and maybe they would have stood a chance. Yeah. <laughs> so, white cloaks. And um, pretty much they yell up and say, okay, we see you surrender or die, uh, I think is what they say. Um, you know, a parent starts to walk towards them. They pull their torches up and they see parent has an axe. So they start yelling at them, you know, drop your axe, drop your axe. And then parent yells, no, but he wasn't yelling no at them. He was yelling no at Hopper. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Pretty, pretty sad scene though. Um, you know, uh, even though we didn't meet Hopper that much yet, um, you know, as a as just a dog, he can talk or wolf that he can talk to. You know, Hopper leaps out of there and and right into a white cloak, but quickly is is killed. Um, well, he does take one out first. Yeah, he does take one out. Yes. So, <laughs> and you know, I find it really interesting because he says, "Run, brother." Mm-hmm. He whirled to leap again and sword, but this is the first time that. Parent was referenced as brother that I've seen in the book so far, unless I missed Yeah, it. they've accepted him 100%. Yeah. Acceptance, yes, but talking to him and claiming him and giving him that title. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to be like, okay, this guy can engage with us. He can speak with us. He should be one of us. It's another thing to go, you are one of us, and I'm going to put my life, and they've been doing it already, putting their life on the line. But Hopper directly, you know, put himself out there and got himself killed for it. Yeah. 
And it sucks that Perrin did not take advantage of that moment. But that's parent being parent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to that point, you know, we all put our own perspective when we're reading. We've said that a billion times. But I, I agree with you, like, the word brother uh, is huge. I mean, not just from my military background, but after getting out, uh, I ran in the MC world for a while. And you don't get called brother right off the bat. Uh, in fact, it takes quite a while um, if it ever happens. And when you do reach that point, um, for someone to call you brother, especially some of these, uh, like OGs that, I mean, it's, it's a huge deal. Right. Uh, so, so I kind of got that feeling. I'll also add, I mean, with everything that's been going on with me, it was already a little emotional. And when I first went through this chapter, I listened to it first as I was driving somewhere and I had to keep rewinding this part. Cause I won't say I, teared up a little bit because i don't cry i've got friends i go to the gym <laughs> but um <laughs> like come pollen must have gotten in the window uh so i don't know yeah that that little scene so very short but you know him laying down his life and he clearly it, from my perspective did it to just give uh, Perrin and Egwene, that one last chance to get away. Like, he knew he was going to die when he did that. That one wolf was not going to take on all of them. Uh, sure. So he knowingly sacrificed himself. That was, I don't, I don't know. My allergies yeah, were but, acting up. But but instead of Hopper, or Hopper yells run, um, run brother, but instead of running, he gets killed, or instead of Perrin running, he sees Hopper get killed and goes in complete bloodlust mode, um, where he doesn't even know what's going on until something hits him in the head and he blacks out. Um, which is awesome (laughs) (laughs) so uh you know complete bloodlust uh you know if uh you know um you know complete crazed anger uh mode which you know i love it he said the horsemen had bunched too much to be able to use their lances and the axe was a feather in his hand one huge wolf's tooth of steel the uh something crashed into his head Either way, like the the imagery of the axe being super light, and then he called it one huge wolf's tooth of steel. Mm-hmm. That just gave me goosebumps because I'm like, finally, we have a character from Edmonds Field who is really starting to get a really good grasp on who they are and what their powers are, and it just so happens to be the one that everybody else kind of thought was lame, which is parents. So <laughs> to put that out there. He's getting a really great mastery of his skill and of his, uh, his potential power way before everybody else. Sure. Yeah. So um, I got very frustrated here because I'm like, sweet. Uh, we got this character who, you know, this power has been building in him. Um, he's finally lashing out. Like there is going to be, some some blood spilled here, his or theirs, and then the paragraph ends, and there's like six spaces, dot, 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 mumbling parent open his eyes loosely, and I'm like, son of a bitch, if we don't find <laughs> out what actually happened here quickly, I'm I'm going to have to <laughs> skip ahead. I, like, I was tempted to hit the Googles if we finish this. So luckily, sure. by the end of this chapter, we get a little bit better idea of, we, of, we do get idea, of what yeah. went down, but I was like, ah, Jordan, no, you didn't. <laughs> How dare you? You know, I got to say, Jordan and Martin are kind of two different people in this. I have to say, 
because Tom's not dead. Right. Character, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So Perrin does wake up in a tent, you know, and um, you know, one man's kind of watching him. They, they he he's tied up, um, and and he has a description of this 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 white cloak that's kind of rummaging through his stuff. Um, and you, we don't know who he is at first, but then um, another white cloak comes in, and there's another description. So let's talk about these two characters, and and they're you get, you get their names shortly after. Once Lord Lord Captain Commander uh, or, or the Lord Captain uh, Jeffrey Bornhold, and then um, Child Buyer, <laughs> a dark-eyed grandfatherly face looks back at him, a face at odds in his mind. With the white and gold tabard the man wore and the burnished armor strapped over his pure white cloak, it seemed a kindly face, bluff and dignified, and something about it fit the elegant austerity of the tent's furnishings. So we have this regal figure who also has this face that just like welcomes everybody, mm-hmm. which I haven't gotten an impression of that from a white cloak yet. But here we have it. Here's the first man that really, you know, is showing, you know, some type of sense of betterment, even through his very look. And they said everything in the tent had a look of craftsmanship, but only someone who had watched the work of a craftsman would see it. So, like, we're getting this sense of appreciation that Perrin has for this man's taste and for this man in general. Like, if you you didn't know better, you'd say that Perrin is automatically kind of having, like, a man crush (laughs) (laughs) on the cap here. So, it's like, all right, Perrin, watch yourself. We don't need you turning to the white cloaks. Yeah, it's funny. I'm really pissed you bought me on the head, but man, nice corners on that table. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It took him a a very long time. He's like, he saw all of this stuff out, but then he finally realized, like, for the first time, he realized he was tied hand and foot. Mm -hmm. His eyes went, that's kind of freaky stuff there. So, you know, that that fatherly stare might be a little bit. Now, let me stop. So um, then, he, then you get child buyer. Um, he comes in. He's a skinny, like gaunt-looking guy um, that that's kind of emotionless and and is your stereotypical white cloak. What you think of white cloaks to be? Yeah, I love it. the The first question they had was be, he said, "Be at ease, child buyer. You have tallied our cost for this encounter." Mm-hmm. And he said, nine dead, my lord, captain, and 23 injured, seven seriously. All can ride, though. 30 horses had to be put down. They were hamstrung. So I'm going to let Ian speak on this, but uh, that's pretty badass. Like, they did some real damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's uh, – all right. So before we get there, uh, I got I to gotta pull a Chris and back up just a little bit. Uh, so this was the next teaser, you know, as I'm reading this, right? We get that that break in the paragraphs. We don't know exactly what happened. But then when Perrin is realizing what's going on, uh, he says that they were tied with shock enough, but they were enough ropes to hold horses. 
And then in italics, like he's thinking, what do they think we are? So then you have another hint that these guys that are some pretty badass soldiers, they can hold their own. You know, the White Cloaks, apparently, they know how to fight. Uh, and they got these two little people that they bound the living bejesus out of. So now I'm thinking, holy shit, what did Perrin do? Like, what was so <laughs> impressive? What power happened? I was even thinking, did Egwene bust out some of the one true power and, like, zap them with a bolt of lightning? Like, something significant happened for them to time up like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Sure. So, yeah. Um, that entered my mind in the beginning until I read more about Child Briar and his, you know. Embellishments. Embellishments. <laughs> sure. <laughs> now, I do agree with you, though. Um, because we, we do learn that Perrin was able to take a few guys out. So there is some real fear there that, you know, he's a pretty badass and he might have some like superhuman strength or something that he gains when he's connected with the wolves. We don't know. It may just be that, you know, he's been working long enough in that forge that he's got some strength. He really didn't realize that plus adrenaline equals kickassery. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> We're going to find out soon. I'm right there with you. I'm yeah, excited. Sure. So you get some information about what they're doing. They're on their way to Camelin, which is nice because they're on the way to Camelin too. So at least, <laughs> at least they have traveling companions, right? Um, um, exactly. you, did, you do learn that Hopper was skinned. Um, mm. So that's once again, allergies. Drops. Allergies. Yeah. Allergies. Um, and Perrin gets really upset, when, but he can't do anything about it when he hears that. He even growled and struggled against his bonds. Mm-hmm. Which I love how they changed the word from ropes to bonds. But yeah. Okay, continue. Yeah, and then the hate from for buyers very strong in this whole scene, you know. Um, and buyers going through this whole report, he's talking about how many pe- wolves there must have been, how many people, and he starts giving these numbers. And and Bornhold of uh, you know immediately is like calls bullshit, saying like, no, it's not that many wolves. There's not that many men. It's probably the only men that were there, and it probably was only a few wolves. Um, uh, you know, Bornhold's a lot more seasoned commander, so he kind of just sees right through it all. Yeah, this child, child buyer, <laughs> is that what we're saying? Buyer? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, him being the younger guy, uh, and obviously not just fully confident in himself, but uh, with all this confidence he has in this group that he's traveling with, uh, his report kind of reflects that, that mindset of, I mean, there's, there's no way this was just a couple of wolves. I mean, me and my guys could have taken a bunch of wolves. So it had to be like 30, like as he's processing this, that's why I figure he's doing the math. Uh, and as, right. and, and as you read with uh, the captain kind of enlightening him, he's clearly pretty naive um, about how powerful the wolves can actually be. Be like, no, this, this was six or eight. I mean, that's at max really eight because th- this is about the damage they can do. Right. Okay, <laughs> right. and, and and you know, buyers trying to draw all these different conclusions about dark friends and things like that, and and Bordelot kind of cuts him off, and you know, is definitely using you know Occam's razor. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of that in philosophy, but yeah. that's uh, par- paraphrase: the simple solution is most likely the right one. Um, there's lots of problems with Occam's razor, but it's um, that's but that's it's it's a philosophy. Or um, actually, as a as a was a Christian monk, Occam, yeah. If I remember, correctly. yes, that uh, came up came up with that idea for when problem solving, usually the simplest solutions, the most well, likely his, right one. His name was William, but he was from Occam. I think Occam was a place. It was okay. William of Occam. 
I guess I'd, I'd, okay. I'd have to look it up. Someone Google me. I may be wrong. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's called Occam's Razor, though. Yeah. So that's, that's all it is. Um, but using that, 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 that philosophy or whatever, when looking at this whole thing, like you're drawing all these random things, let's go ahead and just ask them some questions first. Um, you know, first, you know, before he gets to that, you know, Bornhold, Bornhold holds up the axe and starts there and gives it the buyer. What do you think about this? You know, no villagers axe, so this is going to raise suspicion. So let's let's kind of start figuring out these clues. Yeah, I love it. He said, I, and I, I did highlight everything that we were talking about because I love the parallels of the rookie versus the seasoned veteran. Because you're right, the numbers were huge. He said. You know, there had to be 50 beasts or more, and of that we killed 20, perhaps 30, which we know is complete and total right. BS. And he said it seems to have been a coordinated ambush, but that raised the question of, and that's when he was cut off, and he was just like, eh, I don't know about that. He said, you know, perhaps you've seen a few more, once you've seen a few more action, you'll know. He said, I suspect. Um, they were here for the same reasons we are, the only easy water for at least a day in any direction. Much simpler explanation than spies or traders within children. And the simplest explanation is usually the truest. You will learn with experience. So, of course, that's just like pissed Briar off more and more. And then regarding the axe, he said, excellent balance, my lord captain, plainly made but by a very good weaponsmith, perhaps even a master. His eyes burned darkly at the, uh, at the prisoners, not a villager's weapon, my lord, nor a farmer's. So that really raises questions to who Master Luhan really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it kind of gives a nod to their heritage. Like he may be, um, you know, Edmunds Fielder, but he comes from a lineage of, individuals that created like awesome weaponry i mean we know they're from a warring nation they're just kind of super watered down because of all the stuff that went down in the past but we can see that the skill sets have been handed down or again maybe luhan was a part of something more that we just don't know about um maybe we need to go back in time to you know figure that out (laughs) well maybe we get pam back in the picture and we get to some time traveling. Yes. And- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Gonna go back in time. Time travel. Um, and we go back in time and figure it out. So <laughs> bring that back around. Um, so um, when I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a whole lot to add to this other than I think very well written uh, with the whole interrogation technique. Um, everything from. Uh, the captain was very intentional. Uh, even mm-hmm. even the fact that the conversation he was having with child uh, buyer. buyer was happening in front of Egwene and Perrin, and that was intentional for them to hear. And it's kind of a play on a little bit of the good cop, bad cop, and early mm-hmm. in the conversation, letting this young guy be more of the spear, more of the aggressor in the interrogation. That's exactly what this is. The whole time, he's just trying to get information from Baron and Egwene. Uh, and then right. once he's got to the point where he's heard enough, he goes from, um, you know, kind of being this nice old guy that's just trying to hear them out, give them the benefit of the doubt, to <laughs> counting one by one on all his fingers on all the ways that they are dark friends or related to them and how they messed up in their conversation. Mm-hmm. So 
exactly. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And he, you know, they suspect they might be dark friends, and and parents speaks up, and that's when Byron, Byron first hits him, strikes him, and then Egwene says, you know, tries to as well, almost hits her, same way, you know. And and from what Perry explains, it would have been a killing blow. I mean, it wasn't. This wasn't like a. You know, the, <laughs> he wasn't messing around with 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 well, just the hilt of the axe. Um, yeah, but um, you know, um, yeah, Born, Bornholtz mm-hmm. heard about this whole thing with men running with wolves. You know, and Parent immediately speaks up and tries to defend the wolves. You know, it's it's one of these things where, and the Gwen says, you know, well, we heard about it from a warder, and you know, and it keeps on, you know, they, they carve out witches. Okay, you, it, like they said, they keep on digging themselves a di- bigger and bigger hole as they talk. Yeah. Um, you know, where it's, it's, it's good. To have, I mean, I like how Jordan wrote this, but also it's, it's, it's cringing because it's like, just shut up guys. Right. Shut up. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like he already knows. You just don't get that. He knows. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're trying to cover up one thing by telling something else, but that something else they're telling is just as damning, if not worse, considering yeah, who they're like, being held by. So yeah. Yeah. Like Charles, Charles, yeah. what features, you know, therefore, that, you know, wolves are dark friends, and and Egwene speaks up and goes, "Oh, Trollocs have other features too, like goats." And how do you know about Trollocs? <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> I can name at least six that I saw on the last day. <laughs> you can let me go now, right? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, like you said, he draws multiple points. You know, I think he counts them all out, saying, "Okay, you guys are obviously uh, dark friends." Tells the you know the story. Like, how'd you got here? And Perrin actually goes ahead and tells him pretty much the true story. Uh, mostly true. Um, yeah. Of what happens. But, but immediately born Archer has to pick holes in, in the story and doesn't believe any of it. <laughs> yeah. He, he points it out. So again, very wise man. He said, I give you every chance and you dig yourself deeper with every word you run with wolves, creatures of the dark one. You admit to being acquainted with a warder another creature, the dark one. I doubt he would have told you what he did if it was only in passing. He said, you boy, carry a Tarvalon marker in your pocket. Most men outside of Tarvalon get rid of those as fast as they can unless they serve the Tarvalon witches. You carry a fighting man's weapon while you dress like a farm boy. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know Trollocs and Midrals. This far south, only a few scholars and those who have traveled into the borderlands believe they are anything more than stories. But you have been to, the, but have you been to the borderlands? If so, tell me where. I have traveled a good deal, and I know them all. He said, "No, ah, well then." So you know, he assessed all of that within, you know, what maybe two or three minutes worth of conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think that's phenomenal. I mean, it's just mind-blowing how much he can he gathered. And then, like you said, they, they admitted to being two river folk. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like a freeing moment. Yeah. So, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it is. But, um, but like I said, Bornhold doesn't believe any of it. So, um, even though they are pretty <laughs> much telling the truth. Um, um, but said, you know, because yeah, they messed up when they told the story and said nothing about a warder. He said, there's no warder right, in that. Yeah. He's like, I, I'm calling you on your bullshit just very simply. Yeah. And then, like, of course, you went and tried to cover <laughs> her tracks, but he's like, no. But then he comes out, he's like, give them back their belongings, child buyer, uh, 
buyer, not the weapons, of course. He said he was really just nonchalant about it. We're just going to, you know, give them back their stuff, let them go to an extent. Yeah. And so I think and, that was pretty And Wayne's like, wait, we to go? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to Camelot, and then we're taking you to, 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 um, to Amador, which is um, which a new place we haven't heard of. And then, um, you know, buyer wants to kill him right up, right, right there, you know, just, um, you know, and kind of upset that he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't get to play with his new, to- you know, toy to, ki- you know, his new axe to kill him with, um, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of a messed up guy. Um, and, you know, obviously gets off and, and, and enjoys the, you know, the torture and the, and that aspect of things. Hmm. Um, you know, the penalty of dark friends is death. You know, he says that to, to, to Bornhole and, um, yeah, um, and, and it kind of ends the chapter with with with, with uh, Jeff from uh, uh, Bornhold telling them basically what's going to happen, saying, you know, Gwen, you still have time to possibly earn your freedom through truth. Um, and it turns to parents as unfortunately you will be executed. Um, yeah, you uh, you killed you, you, two of the children, so now we finally get. I mean, it's not the awesome scene that we were hoping. Hopefully, when they do this, like, and he says you killed two of the children when they do this in the show. Maybe they'll show us a little flashback so we can actually see the action of him lighting these dudes up. Yeah. So that, that's the way to do it. Someone take note. There you go. So that's how we end this chapter. So any thoughts on this chapter before we move on to the next one? I am loving Perrin and Egwene's like track here. Mm-hmm. Like out of all the characters, they've got the best so far so i'm excited to follow them a little bit more i I was a little surprised i was thinking early on are we going to see Egwene bust out some of the power and i'm kind of surprised in a situation like this where it was very much life and death that there wasn't even a twinkle of it uh even during the interrogation part when you know dude got clocked upside the head and then went to swing at her i mean at some point you would think if you have this power starting to build in you, this might be one of the situations where it would come out, but it didn't. So eh, I'm not saying I'm disappointed. I'm just saying I thought well, maybe this would be a time that could happen. Well, there's got to be somewhere for her to draw the power. Like I said before, maybe she was able to draw the power from the river in the past and she created the mm-hmm. fire because they're so close to the water. Maybe she is a, a water elemental and she needs to be able to draw or channel oh, that no, power right. from yeah. a, another force. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I'm not sure possibly, but it doesn't make sense to start a fire using water. But, you know, maybe it's more about being near your element to draw the energy from it. Um, kind of like siphoning yeah, power. She, she needs to be touching um, Bella, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yep. A nod to legacies. <laughs> they have to be siphoning the power from something stronger. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So we'll move on to the next chapter. So, all right, moving on to chapter 21, play for your supper. Um, so the icon here is the Heronmark blade hilt. And we'll talk about the icon and, and the chapter title too. So thoughts. So clearly the Heronmark sword indicates that we're looking towards the Rand track of things. Um, I'm starting to realize more and more that though we are on this venture with more than just Rand, but it's Rand and Matt, because we see Rand's symbol pop up, we're getting more of his internal dialogue than we are Matt. I actually don't think we've 
had a chapter yet where we're really focused on Matt's internal dialogue. Maybe there is none. <laughs> yeah, not, not um, yet. Just through other people's eyes. Yeah. And then the title, Play for Your Supper. Um, before reading the chapter, I really kind of thought about it and I was like, what does this mean? Like, are they going to like have to fight or are they going to have to enter some type of competition or um, that's where my, my mind went with competition because of the word play. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, after reading the chapter, we kind of know what that really comes down to. Yeah. And, and so, so after reading it, that that's a little nod to Tom. Uh, but I, I have to, I'll say it here. When these parties separated, before we read last chapter and before reading this chapter, uh, so you got Perrin and Egwene, and then you got Matt and Ran. If mm-hmm. if you were to say, all right, one of these two groups, uh, they're gonna, you know, get in this knockout dragout fight, and somebody's gonna bust out their weapon and kill a couple people, and then they're gonna, you know, lock horns with uh, the white cloaks, and then another two are just gonna kind of skip along, hopping from barn to barn, town to town, you know, working for their meal sort of thing. I'd have flip-flopped it. I'd have thought Matt and Rand would be the ones, you know, uh, bow out, sword out, you know, strapping people up, trying to make it to the next stop. But as it turns out, it's the exact opposite. So, yeah. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Which actually I I enjoy uh, because it gets to develop parent a little more. As a character yeah. versus being being the obvious, you know, uh, Random Matt um, being the bow, the bowman at this point, uh, the archer and the uh, um, swordsman are very much in training. <laughs> swordsman. I, I um, wonder if Jordan, as he was writing this, had the same thoughts that we did. Like he was going along, and then he was like, "Shit, Perrin's just a block so far. I need to do something with him." <laughs> so he gave him some exciting chapters because the last couple with Perrin had been really good. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh yeah i mean it's um uh it, throughout the series uh the different characters will definitely grow and then it kind of goes back and forth where you'll uh you'll you'll love characters and you'll hate them you'll love them again and, and and it just as the character develops and changes um you know something's kind of get takes on too many too much time for them to get over some things you know things like that but yeah very sure so um it starts out you know they're they're looking for a hiding place. That's right where it starts out. And they're on this road and, um, and they see, you know, dust coming up um, and they want to get off the road before these horses come. Cause they have no idea. It could be the fades. It could be something. Um, and, uh, and they talk about these scarves that they got from a far- farmer as well. Um, and, and you can tell that Matt's slipping a little bit as far as mentally. That's yeah. <laughs> so the the Matt thing, um, you know, I did myself a disservice. I didn't. Uh, I, I made that point also uh, at the end of this chapter that M- Matt, in the last two chapters we've had him, his contribution is just showing us that he's slowly losing his shit. Um, but I didn't go back and highlight. Chris, do you have some of the lines about Matt losing his? Oh, oh, there was one. Matt, all but his eyes hidden from the scarf wrapped around his head, hunted swiftly along the tall hedge grove, pulling at leafy branches. 
he just shows that he's anxious. He's got a lot of anxiety going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and that's, that's what I gather was just anxiety more than anything else. Yeah, but he, but he's always clutching or fiddling with yeah. this dagger. Whenever something significant is going on, there's a mention of him in the dagger. Like his hand was under his well, coat. Right he always was no longer sure if it was to protect himself or to protect the ruby-hilted dagger. Of late, Matt seemed to forget he had a bow sometimes. Um, that was essentially speaking in regards to Matt's interaction with people because, of course, they're on this path and they're being very untrusting. They said He said Matt snarled silently like a cornered badger, <laughs> squinting above his scarf. His hands uh, was always under his coat. He always clutched the dagger from Shadow Logoth uh, when there was no or when there was danger so you're right every every instance that occurs he seems to be going straight to the dagger he no longer realizes that he has the bow which has been his weapon of choice the whole time he's been very effective with it so it's kind of crazy that he keeps going to the dagger but then ran of course draws the conclusion that he's more concerned about protecting the dagger not necessarily using it so yeah, but Jordan gives us the nod again, the reminder. It's not just that he's clutching this dagger. He clutched the dagger from Shatter Logoth. Like, just a reminder. Yeah. This is important, folks. Right. So the the ring that binds them all is slowly wearing him down. We have, we have a <laughs> golem mat running around in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the, the horses go past them. They find that little gap in the hedges. The horses go past them, and they uh, come back out and see the horse going down, and they – and at this point, it goes back to them leaving Whitebridge um, and talking about, you know, when they're leaving and how they're avoiding horses and how the villages look like home. Um, and Rand's thinking a lot, you know, homesick, a lot, thinking about, about Tam and wondering how things are back home. And have this kind of this, this meandering homesick, kind of depressing, at least for me, you know, scene where they're, you know, kind of – things are rough for them at this point. You know, they're sleeping on the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, it talks about going to these di- all these different villages and are you know and, and try to talk to farmers and get kind of day work, but a lot of times they just run off and chased by dogs, and it's just uh, very, very um, kind of depressing for the first part. Well, it's even like looking at the um, internal monologue that Rand is having with himself, even though he's homesick there's this thought now that no matter what it looks like, a small voice whispers in his mind, it isn't really home. Even if you go into one of the house, those houses, Tam won't be there. If he was, could you look him in the face? You know now, don't you? Except for little things like where you come from and who you are. No fever dreams. He hunched his shoulders again, taunting laughter inside his head. You might as well stop, the voice snickered. One place is as good as another when you aren't from anywhere and the dark one has you marked. I, this I highlighted, I have different colors to my highlights, red being the highest, orange being the next down. And this one I highlighted orange um, because it really is um, concerning to me because even though this is Rand's internal monologue, it's not Rand's voice. Hmm. It's almost like his mind has now been imprinted on by Bialzaman, and now he's putting doubt directly in Tran's mind. Anything that Rand could link to his own humanity, he's now causing him to doubt. Hmm. 
because once you can, once you lose your sense of home and you, you start to lose your sense of the people that helped you, your super ego, then your ego is broken down and you're easily manipulated. Yeah. So I think as a character, we're, we're seeing a de-evolution of his prior development as this strong warrior. And we're now starting to see this internal struggle in him to really mentally break down. So, we're, you know, you, you brought up an interesting point, Ian, earlier that we are seeing these kick-ass scenes with Perrin and Egwene, but we're seeing physical battles with them. But here we're seeing mental battles with Rand and Matt, which I think are even harder to overcome than those physical struggles. Yeah. Because once you lose your mind and yourself, everything else is completely disconnected. And Matt is losing himself to his obsession with the dagger, which again, I think is really him being taken over by, um, Mordeth. give me his name again, Mordeth. Um, and then we have Rand being marked by the Dark One, and he's slowly losing components of his mind to this ideology that he belongs to Bialzamah. So we may be seeing like the development of two characters down an evil path. Hmm. Chris, this one worked out perfect that uh, that you went first because I had something that kind of was in that vein but you said it 50 billion times better. So I'm, so I'm just going to say uh, I agree and pretend like I thought the exact same thing. But uh, <laughs> so the, uh, of that, really, the only two things that uh, I put a note next to, uh, that last line of him thinking of one place as good as another when you aren't from anywhere and the dark one has you marked. And that was right after, uh, oh, what did he say first? the voice snickered right and so i took that okay is this like you said bielsaman kind of influencing him even even when he was awake or just creeping into his mind making him doubt himself but the line afterwards at the end of the next paragraph so much like home but you'll never see that again will you and it's it's almost like he's reaching that point of no return that that precipice where he's like okay no this not only is this really happening, like the earlier chapters where they're much more fond and like eager to get back home and even thinking going home is possible, he's already succumbing to the, all right, where this ends, uh, it doesn't involve me being back on the farm with Tam. Like this, th- this is it. This is serious. So, and, you know, I, I agree with that, but in the same vein, like is that Rand or is that Biazma? Well, I mean, it's, it seems like it's kind of merging at this point. I mean, he's definitely in his head, like you said. It's, yeah. And like you, like you said, they even made the statement, no fever dreams. Like, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It is the Alzheimer coming into his mind in his awake time. So there's kind of like a merge of the minds a little bit further there. Sure. Yeah. And it's funny that Matt kind of yanked him out of this, even though he's been yanking Matt along. Mm-hmm. They've kind of been leaning on each other and not doing a good job supporting each other. <laughs> Come on, Frodo. We're almost there. Don't yeah. give up, Frodo. <laughs> so in, in, in the very next scene, you know, Rand, Rand, Rand's noticing Matt also obsessing with the dagger and, 
And uh, Rand suggests that maybe we should sell the dagger because you know, they're kind of getting sick of this whole entire sleeping on the ground thing and say, you know, how much money can we get for that? And Matt gets super angry about this. Um, Matt immediately spats back, you know, why don't we just sell your you know, a sword you have? And, and he says, it's my dad's sword. You know, I can, I can see this argument, especially, you know, for, you know, it, early 20 somethings are your high school age kids so you know like <laughs> why don't you do that no why don't you do that <laughs> so um at the same time you can see matt you know gets overly angry about this though but uh they both kind of make good points and, and explain logic and why they can't um matt was so quick on his explanation making so much sense that it kills me. He's like, who would I sell it to, Rand? Like, that right then and there, it's like, Rand, you're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like, who am I going to sell this ruby to? I mean, like, just playing back. He said, why are you so anxious to sell it? I found it, after all. You even think I might like, you ever think I might like to keep it for a while anyway? Uh, and then he, of course, made a statement, if you want to sell something, sell that bloody sword. And he said, Matt, do you like one hungry? Anyway, even if I could find somebody to buy it, how much would a sword bring? Would a farmer want a sword? What would a farmer want with a sword? That a ruby would fetch enough to take us all the way to Camelin in carriage, maybe all the way to Tarvalon, and we'd eat every meal in an inn and sleep every night in a bed. Maybe you'd like the idea of walking halfway across the world and sleeping on the ground. And then, of course, Matt is just like, you're, you're fucking stupid. Excuse the words. <laughs> he said, who I saw it to? A farmer would pay in chickens. We couldn't buy a carriage with chickens. And even if I showed it to any villager we had uh, been going through, they'd probably think we stole it. The lights know what would happen then. So it's just like, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Let's just keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Jordan is still trying to show a the beginning of the unraveling of Matt because his first reaction is a little bit over the top. And it, like the way I read it, uh, and I guess this is more in my head. It's not like it's bold or anything like that, but it, it was more, he was almost yelling at him. Like, are you so anxious to sell it? I found it after all, da, 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 da. And just thinking very selfishly and very possessive over it. But then, like you said, he quickly transitions into uh, a really good argument. All right. In comparison, you could sell your sword or, Oh, by the way, who am I going to sell it to anyway? So that's the more rational approach. But at first this was, his first response was an overreaction from, from the way I see it. So I'm expecting to see as well, we move forward, the, the clinginess to it, the attachment to it, the overreactions, the selfishness towards it, that's going to grow and you'll see less and less of the rational Matt. That, that's where I see right. this going. Are we going to deal with Spiegel or are we going to deal with Gollum? <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. And I might have joked about making that reference, but that, that's what I'm feeling as I'm reading this. Yeah, or death, or we deal with Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the, sure. and the next thing they do is they kind of go through the difference between the two of them. So you know, Matt's going out there, uh, you know, stealing eggs and even milk. He said he even was brazen enough to go and milk a cow, you know, in someone's, you know, someone's, someone's field. Um, and uh, you know, where Rand's trying to do the more honest work approach, you know, he's approaching, and Matt doesn't want to do this at all, but he's you know approaching farmhouses and. <laughs> Uh, you know, asking if you do some chores for some food, and um, you know, sometimes they're getting some some places to sleep and and eat, um, but other times they're kind of being chased off, uh, mostly because of of Matt being Matt and giving mean looks and and looking mm-hmm. shifty the entire time, and and he's not trusting anyone. So you can see this, you know, that Matt's causing these problems by this this being 
distrustful of everyone. Um, and I didn't know what your thoughts were on this. If you think this is because of the dagger or just because of everything they've been through and they just feel like they can't trust anybody or because they're from a small town, you know, there's lots of different factors that can go into this, but. I think it's cute that Rand is at least showing the, the difference between how Matt wants to be an opportunist when it comes to any type of food. And Rand is trying to still have some sort of honesty and, and dignity. And and that, that is, it's great. I respect him and all, but uh, you know, trying to put myself in that position uh, and you're that hungry and you know, you have to travel and ultimately milking a cow or snagging a few eggs here and there. It's not the end of the world. The chicken's going to lay more eggs. Uh, cows mm-hmm. produce a fair amount of milk. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like in that position, I'd be like, look, we, we got to survive our mission. The people we're taking this from may not know it, but what we're involved in is way more important than the milk from their cows. So I, I wouldn't feel guilty about doing that. So I, sure. I, in the same note, I don't, I don't think Matt is doing anything morally objective at this point. It's just, you got to eat, you got to fuel the fire. They've got a long way to go still. And they, and Rand keeps talking about how they need to keep moving. He mentions in this chapter a couple times, like all of these transactions with people and, you know, I'll offer to do some work and then you give us a little shelter or food or whatnot. Like that takes time mm-hmm. and they have to do their work during the day. And that time is time for the fades to catch up. So I would, I don't know, I'd keep moving and I would just grab whatever opportunity I can. Yeah. But they still got to eat. They still got to sleep. And that, but yeah. at the same time, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's that weird balance between the two of them. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think it's a question of morals versus, versus ethics. I mean, morally that's defined by the individual and ethics is another thing. And, you know, there should be a fair trade off in all ethically speaking. And that's kind of where Rand is looking at it from, but Matt is right in his distrust of people and he's kind of giving people what he's kind of learning that he's going to get. Uh, we see that in the example of the farmer that they stopped to help and they were mucking, uh, mucking the barn, which for those that have done that know how awesome that is. That's such a great pretty horrible. thing to be doing. I <laughs> uh, learned how pies were mucking the barn. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> You know, Matt is showing his level of distrust, and that's not new. So this is the actual Matt, I think. He's always had a level of distrust for people. He's a good tell of character. Like, I don't think there was a moment where Matt didn't kind of hit the nail on the head with his understanding of what people were like. And, you know, this farmer and his wife really did them wrong. They're like, our sons are coming to visit tonight, all four of them. I forgot. They're all for coming. Big lad, strong. Be here anytime now. I'm afraid we don't have the beds we promised you. So Matt was right. Matt was like, he's up to something. See the way he won't meet my eyes? Why are they so friendly to a couple of wanderers they never laid eyes on before? Tell me that. His wife says we remind her of their grandsons. Will you stop worrying about them? What we have to worry about is behind us, I hope. You know, that's the interaction between Matt and... uh, Rand and Rand is just very trusting. Like the wife loves us. Like we're just like her grandson. And Matt's like bullshit. You know, he's something. And he was sure enough, right? So they they got cheated really quickly. They did all that work, and what did they get? Bread and cheese and pickles and a little bit of lamb. Right. Yep. Maybe. Well, two meals. I'll tell you this: you can't get pickles from a cow. So I mean, at some yeah. point, if you want pickles, you, you got to shovel some shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So yeah, so they're doing this kind of thing, and they they finally get to the Grinwells farm, and you know they they have a bunch of kids. It's, I think they had nine kids or something like that. Like it's it's a typical farm family. If usually large families, everybody to help work the farms, and um and they're out there working, and you meet the oldest daughter, Els. Uh, Grandwell, who is definitely flirting with Rand, and it's all about Rand. <laughs> so, um, you know, to the point where Rand's uncomfortable about this. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about this scene before we get to the actual supper scene, but after supper, um, you know, it, it gets it gets worse. Well, we yeah. get that whole <laughs> idea of boys being boys, like they kind of go back to their adolescence. Because parent or Matt's like parent would know how to handle this situation. He makes some offhanded comment, and pretty soon she'd be laughing at his jokes instead of mooning around where her father can see. He wasn't necessarily concerned about the fact that she was, you know, dotting over him, but the fact that the father could kind of see what was going on, and he didn't want the father to see it. So, like, <laughs> yeah, and yet, you know, and but at the and same time. In almost a similar time mm-hmm. frame, uh, you know, Perrin just recently left the Tinkers. And while he was there, he had the same thought of, gosh, if Rand was here, he would know how to handle all of these ladies. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just funny. They're back and forth. They need to just, yeah. <laughs> be be an be a early 20s, late teens boy and, you know, roll the dice. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Actually, give Aaron some experience. Uh, as points. experience, points. yeah, yeah. <laughs> some XP. Yeah, there you go. Um, Plus five <laughs> dexterity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So <laughs> after supper, uh, Matt starts to juggle, and and Rand plays a flute. They said they've done this in a few houses, kind of like a little bonus. Um, but but Els is all about Rand, and is definitely giving him you know the the, the bedroom eyes. Uh, and Miss Mrs. Grendel's suspicious, um, so he keeps playing. Um, so he's like, "All right, I'll just keep playing more songs, just to kind of not deal with this uh, really awkward situation." Um, but Mister Grindel loves it. I mean, he's just that they're amazing. Says you guys have played ends because you guys are 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 you know uh, better than most you know performers that we see. Um, you know, um, which kind of you know plants a seed in their head. You know, we'll move on to that in a little bit. Um, but as the night winds on, weighs on or, or gets to closes out, uh, Mrs. Grinwell suggests that they, you know, they should sleep in their daughter's bed, and their daughter should sleep with her. <laughs> <laughs> I have no babies in here. <laughs> we got enough of our own. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and one of those things where you know, Mr. Grinwell says, "Yeah, we can actually get you working a bar." And Mrs. Grinwell cuts in, like, "You guys probably should get on your way, right? You guys are busy, right? You guys got to go, right?" <laughs> <laughs> Rand's like, thank you, Jesus. Yes, ma'am. We will be out of your way. <laughs> so she gave him a tight-lipped smile as if she knew very well that his thanks were for more than her advice or even supper and a warm bed. <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, uh, let, let's pause here and talk about this part. I don't know if it came across your mind, but if Tom is alive versus if Tom is actually dead, And I know as I'm reading this, I shouldn't be thinking about the show coming up. Um, But if Tom is actually dead, this is like the part of the story where, like, they give that nod 
to the to the guy that recently died, but he still gave us some skills to help us along our way. And then you have a much, I won't say cheesier episode possibly, but there will be those moments kind of like where, uh, was it Frodo and uh, Samwise are like practically boyfriends, like talking about how much they love each other. Like there would be like the slow scenes and the flashback and the, oh, Tom. And ha- when I, I when I look at his harp, oh, dear. But, um, you know, if Tom is still alive, they need to be careful about focusing on that too much because, you know, you want to glaze over it and, and not give too many spoilers or foreshadow too hard. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. It's one of those fine lines between you got to give the nod to keep the reader or at that point the the individual watching their kind of closure. But then you don't want to oversell it to the point where everybody's like, yeah, he's definitely coming back. Right, right. So I'm, I'm right there with I still you. think he's coming back. Tom the White, I'm very excited. <laughs> I mean, all I'm saying is Matt was juggling his balls. <laughs> Skillfully. 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 Plus five oh. dexterity. <laughs> wow. Um, so... <laughs> I highlighted that in my book. So... <laughs> When you wait, when you when you advertise this one next, um, it better read. Um, in this episode, <laughs> Matt skillfully juggles Tom's balls. <laughs> Tune in now. <laughs> you won't want to miss it. Then, yeah. <laughs> then our Twitter tag for adult comedy. Yeah, I might have to do that. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll use that for next week. <laughs> um, definitely will. Um, so. So, you know, they, they leave the Grinwells the next day and Matt's picking on Rand about elves all day long. Um, but then when they get to the next uh, village, they realize that they can actually get free rooms and food um, by by playing at the ends, which I'm a little disappointed because I actually asked our Discord today if I could find it. Cause there is a meme out there where it's uh, a picture of Kyle and, and, and Jack Black from uh, Tenacious D, you know, like, Rocking yeah. out, it says you know when it, and the and the meme says something along the the lines of like when Rand and Matt find out they can play for their you know for free food, and it has a picture of like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like when they finally get a gig. Um, but, yeah, so, but anyway, so, so would, it be, would it be that or would it be uh, Bill and Ted's Wild Stallions? Like that's yeah. that's what I picture here. <laughs> and together we are Wild Stallions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> aging ourselves a bit there but yes that was definitely our uh <laughs> that actually i heard they're actually gonna make a remake or at least i heard a rumor of that i'm not sure if they're actually doing it or not but that'd be amazing if uh if uh hey, if they built Ke- keanu, keanu hasn't aged one day yeah. so he, he, can, he can still play it yeah yeah definitely love that guy <laughs> guy's amazing so yeah so um they get free food um and everything um and they actually get a ride as well the next day because there's a drunk that passed out the bar and they're you know got a, got a free ride and, <laughs> and they and it says basically they continue to do this uh for a while and they thought the problems were pretty much over because now they're moving at a pretty good pace they're getting good food and, and places to sleep every single night because they're getting like rides and you know they're actually making good time now until they get to four kings and that's where we end this chapter so 
before we wrap up this episode, a couple of things I wanted to do. One was to go back to that map um, that we had. I think it was before choices. Yeah, um, that sounds right. Um, Cause that map didn't apply then, but it applies to this now. And I always said it's the, I, when we brought it up the first time, I said it's in the wrong part of the book. This is where that it should have been. Cause it starts at a white bridge going over towards Camelot and it has four Kings in there. So you can kind of get an idea. If you just want to reference that, you can get an idea of, you know, of where, where we are in the book in a, in a zoomed in map. So something for our readers as well. If you want to go back um, and look at that old map, um, do you guys got a book in front of you? What uh, is it, was, was it? Choices? Yeah, it's just before choices, before chapter thirteen. Yeah, right before chapter thirteen. So that map there is a is a great way just to reference how far they're going, um, and they're going from White Bridge to Camelin. So, um, and it takes them, and and, and we're going to cover this in the next three episodes. So next episode we're traveling, and then we're in Camelin the third on the third episode, I believe. And we're doing two chapters per episode. So it's actually a little, little fun trivia fact about this travel time. Um, in the book, it's 16 days total of travel time from Whitebridge to Camelin. And by how long it actually is, um, it's 45.6 miles a day is the pace they have to go. So they're, they're traveling a lot of ground here. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but you know, you think about four, 45, 46 miles a day. Um, mm. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Mm. Um, it's a lot of travel. Plus, then you're working at a farm for the afternoon. You know, like so, you're doing two marathons, and then uh, you know you're not running them, but you're still walking the distance of two marathons, and then chopping wood all afternoon so you can get a free meal and a place to sleep. So the first part of you know, obviously, I guess the pace picks up once they start getting rides you know, on, on carriages, but you think about it, you know, this is exhausting way they're traveling. Um, um, and another fun trivia too, this takes place uh, between days 24 to, uh, I think it's day 24 plus 16. So whatever, I think it's 40. Yeah. Between 24 and 40. So since the beginning of the book. So I, Wow, it feels like we've been going on. <laughs> it forever. seems like yeah, it seems yeah. like you've been doing it forever. But yeah, it's day twenty four through forty uh, since it's, since it's uh, since it's going on. So, are we talking about the quarantine again, or are we talking about the book? Because <laughs> we're on day one billion. It's March ninety seventh. <laughs> it's March. Uh, so remind me again, is this book on a lunar or solar calendar? So we're like two months in or a month and a half. Yeah, in. so they use a different calendar, um, and we'll get into that later. But um, it's ten, there are 10-day weeks, um, and it's 13-month years. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another. Yeah, but we can get into that uh, their calendar system. It's different than ours. But with that being said, Book yeah, book five. five. We'll, we'll eventually talk about it. But um, so with that being said, anything that we missed from these chapters, or anything that you guys want to talk about before we kind of wrap up the episode? Yes. Okay. Yes. Hold on to your seats, Chris. Are you ready? I'm All right. ready. I mistakenly put this note at the end of this chapter, but I'm actually jumping back. Uh, a chapter: The Children of the Shadow. Okay, hmm. right, be- right before mm-hmm. Elias uh, dips out, 
because the bad dudes are coming. He says, telling them to go east or west. He says, go east or west. Elias told Perrin, find a place to hide and I'll join you as soon as I can. If they see a wolf, dot, dot, dot. He darted away, crouching almost as if he intended to go all fours and vanished into the lengthening shadows of the evening. Do you think that these, yes, it's, did that, do you, am I the only one? Hmm. No, I actually have that highlighted too, but I like we kind of glazed over it so quickly I didn't go back to it. So, you know, I, I, I was wondering the same thing. It's like, are they able to shape shift? Are they like werewolves? Like, are we going to get that deep into fantasy where we have, you know, that different type of beings? Or like with, even with Matt, like, you know, I would think Egwene would be a little bit more freaked out. But he couldn't differentiate between himself and Hopper, like when he attacked those men. Right. And killed two men. So, you know, three men in total were killed. Or, you know, like, I mean, that's what, it, you know, if you add it up. But maybe two men were killed, but Hopper killed one and he killed the other. And they just put all the blame on him. Like, I don't know, but I, like, I was there with right. you. We, we are definitely connected in that. Thought. Okay. I'm glad I'm not crazy. Cause there were two parts. The, if they see a wolf, like that was his reason for having to leave Perrin and Egwene. If they see a wolf, well, he's not a wolf or is he, or could he turn into one? And then, and yeah, well, we know he has the eyes of a wolf and we know that Perrin is slowly developing those it, eyes. Exactly. So, yeah. And then the crouching as he was getting ready to leave, as if he's about to go onto all fours. I mean, I don't know. A little bit yeah. of evidence there. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Wait, wait, well, what's up? So we'll go ahead and mark that maybe as uh, one of our nods or our, our, our premonitions or whichever word we want to use. Oh, I do the crazy. I'd go that... for the, I, I did time traveling Tam. I will go out on a limb here and it, it, say that Perrin is going to physically turn into a wolf or at least have the ability to transition. I'm going for it. I'm all in. Yeah. Book seven. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Wasn't that an old Nickelodeon yeah. show? <laughs> so so for I'll go ahead and wrap it up right now. So for for next week we're gonna do two chapters again. It's going to be um the four king uh, four kings in shadow and the dark weights. So uh we will not be doing a live recording. We did a live recording tonight. Next week we're not doing live because we actually have a guest coming on. Um so you guys will see that next uh, the week after that, and then we'll we'll figure out whether we're gonna keep on doing these live recordings. Um, moving forward or what we're going to do. But um, next week, there is no live recording just because it's too tough with guests. But, um, um, but we will have an extra voice in our, in our episode in the following week. So just to wrap things up, like I said, um, uh, how you can find us, we're on social media at The Wheel Reads. Um, we're also, uh, our Gmail is, uh, uh, and we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the social media places. Our, our email is thewheelreads at gmail.com. Um, of course, uh, we have Discord. We have a bunch of people listening to us right now live. Um, we've been doing uh, for uh, this COVID-19 or coronavirus uh, uh, quarantine time, doing a lot, a lot of live 
uh, shows for everybody. Normally, this is reserved for Patreons only, uh, but we kind of opened it up to everyone. I think a lot of podcasters have done the same thing. Uh, kind of got the idea from the other ones, uh, but figured it'd be a fun way just to get you know, everybody's bored, needs an outlet, and it's just fun to get everybody um, uh, together. So if you guys haven't joined our Discord yet, it's a great um, – anybody listening to this, feel free to do it. The link's in the description of this episode. Click on that link. You'll get right to the Discord server. Um, you don't have to join the voice chats and talk. You can just kind of – there's a lot of people that are on our Discord that never say anything at all, which is fine. You can just read and, and be a part of that community. Um, or, or be engaged. It's up to you. Um, you can do whatever you want with that. Um, also, we do have Patreon. Like I mentioned in the very beginning of the episode – um that link's also in the description um that allows us to do things like these giveaways like we're doing right now on twitter so you know if you you know are so inclined to think about you know giving to us uh you know we 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 greatly appreciate it it'll go towards things like giveaways and also getting us better equipment um things of that nature so um um would, would, would love your support there um um so and also make sure you subscribe uh, rate us, like us on any platform you do listen to us on. With that being said, I think we're ready to call it uh, a night. So, anything else for you guys? Nope. Until next time. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See y'all next time.